0: We're learning Daf Mem Dalit. We're starting from the very bottom line of Mem Gimel Amud Bez. Last few words here. which is on a tangent, a bunch of things that Rabbi Yitzchak has taught us. Top of the Amad Aleph. Now, Mase Arba Amos to If you have a mase, a dead body, it holds four Amos that surround it in regard to giving off Duma. In other words, if you put yourself Malal Mase, directly above the mase, or obviously if you touch it, but even if you're just making hovering above the airspace you become Tameh. We're saying an extra khidish that the Zimad madrabana that is the entire surrounding four amas to generate Tameh. So if you get within four amas of the grave, of the corpse, you're not touching, you're passing over it, it's still Tameh um, with Tameh's amazement to Why? Because the Rabbanu were scared. If you get too close, then you might inadvertently make yourself Tameh by stretching out your arm over that corpse. So the Rabbana want people to keep their distance. So therefore, to make sure that people keep their distance, they said the whole four amas surrounding so the whole four ama surrounding area makes you tame. Tanatuna, we could see this way from a Tana of a Mishnah. Why? Because it says the following Din Mishnah and Olos. If you have a chhatar of a kever. So let's just understand what exactly a of a kever is. So basically the tombs they used to have, it's like called a crypt and like it was like an underground sort of vault where they would have a bunch of rows of corpses. You know, it's usually used in a holy setting these underground burials. So, and then next to it, or on top of it, you rather, you have a, you have a chatzar, you have a courtyard. So there's a courtyard, and you've got, um, it's together in the proximity of a location of a kever, of its underground vault where they're burying dead bodies. So or someone who comes into the courtyard is tar. The chiddush here is, you, even though you are within four amas of the corpses, you're still tar. Why? Because even though you're within four amas, it's a separate location. Well, the courtyard and the crypt, where the bodies are, are considered separate things. The Rabbana were not there when they're in separate, distinct areas. For who? That's only true if the courtyard is a significant space in its own right. It's at least four Amos big. Even if it's just four Tzvachim, it's considered a significant space in its own right, and you don't have anything to worry about. Now, we have to get to our Mishnah. So first, we had try to finish up from the finish up the proof of the mission, but before we do that, we bring a brides Moore and Wendy say four is good. She And the entrance, the courtyard's entrance is from above. What does that mean? It means what we're dealing with when we say there's a courtyard, what we mean is that there's a pit. You just there's a pit and you lower yourself into the courtyard, into the pit from the top of it but when the courtyard's entrance is from the side, meaning there's like nice steps that are carved into the side of the pit to get in, difficult, everybody agrees that the courtyard has to measure four amos, or else you're going to be tired. So the says, well, wait a second, just the opposite, what direction are you pointing here? The opposite, if the entrance is from the side, so there are steps to go in. So then someone who's leaving the courtyard just goes away as he leaves, meaning the point that we're trying to say is, the crypt here, this underground vault is next to the courtyard. So as you're climbing out of the courtyard, how big of a concern is it that you're going to somehow you know, extend your hand over where the bodies are? So when, if there's a nice stairs that go out, so there's no concern. You're leaving with the courtyard area through the stairs. What's the concern that you're gonna stick out your arm be mal over a dead body? But mean, if the only entrance is from above, it's impossible not to pass your arm over the crypt. So what does that mean? What we're saying is that if there's no nice stairs, so you just enter from the top, which is a way of saying you just jump down into the pit. So if you just jump down in the pit, how are you gonna jump over the pit? You have to come out like Spider-Man, kind of like put your hands against the sides of the pit and climb up, climb up. So while you're doing that, you might come then to stick your hand over the area where the, where the bodies are. So the point that Khmer is making is that if anything, we should be more lenient when there are stairs, not when there are not. So the Kumar, therefore changes the, bride, the, the, the bride's outside You're right, we got it with backwards. When do we say that you need, Fort is a knife is enough when the courtyard's entrance is from the side, there are some nice stairs, out Milamala, courtyard's pre- uh, uh, entrance is from the top, so you're jumping in and then jumping back out, Abra Amos, and everybody agrees that the courtyard has to measure four Amos in order for it to be significant, so other, significant, otherwise it's not considered significant. Okay, now now that we finished up that whole mission here, now we start understanding why it was approved to Rebbe its extent. This halacha, that someone who goes into the, the courtyard, is in Tameh when it's next to the, to the, to the vault of, of dead bodies. That's all true because it was a separate distinct area. There's a court, courtyard and next to it is where the, the, the bodies are. There are mechitzahs that define it as a separate area that are separate from where the corpses are. The implication is a regular good old corpse Tough is it would be tofe's 4 Amos around it, meaning we're having a whole complexity in the Mishnah about the courtyard room next to the crypt and what's the halacha in the courtyard room all these details, 4 Amos, 4 Tawachim stairs from the side, jumping in, all the clear whole discussion we can see is that ordinarily a mace is tofe's 4 Amos, again because of the concern that you might extend your hand and be mild over it and the question that, 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 that we're dealing with is that maybe it's there, there it's different because it has distinguishable walls okay, now we move on Back to the Mishnah, Miya Ishah Sher Eirus. we speak about a, a person who has done kiddushin with a woman. He's not yet done suing. so he goes out to war, but then he's allowed to return home. So Tana Rabbanan says, in "The Raisa Asher Eirus." The pasuk says, "He did Eirusin." Echad Maris Vizula, whether someone's marrying a girl who's never been married, Echad Maris Alman, or he's marrying a girl that was once been married, she's a widow. Echad Shomeris Yavam, or if it's just that he has a duty, he's bound to marry his Is he yavama? In all these cases. You can go back. Even if it's five brothers went out to war and one died, the remaining four go back. Even though only one of them is going to have to do Yibam, but all four are the potential wants to do Yibam, so therefore all, all four who remain can go back. Now instead of saying in the Pasuk that he hasn't taken, it says he hasn't taken her. So that word her versus saying that's an exclusionary word. Which 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 is coming to show us that not in every case of a, of a new wife do you go back. Prat l'amaron ka'in galu. If it was a forbidden marriage, if it was an amaron marriage ka'in galu yushva chlusel ka'in headiot mamzer yisrael In all these cases, since it's an asher type of marriage, it's not included in the exemption. That's what we learn from l'kacha. Says the Gemara. Well, leima the l'kavu b'saklieli. Then this point that we're making is not l'kavu b'saklieli. L'kavu b'saklieli almar yair reivirachalivav. It says that the last exemption is someone who's afraid. Someone who's afraid goes home. Rabbi Yosef Lili says, what does it mean he's afraid? He's afraid of a sin that he has. A sinner doesn't go out to war. The army is meant to be tzaddik. And according to Rabbi Yosef Lili, it's poshut that somebody who goes and marries a forbidden girl, right, so what did they have? They've sinned. So if they're a sinner, then they shouldn't be in the war. That's his whole point. You go back home. The Barisa is saying someone who did a forbidden marriage doesn't go back home, but rather fights in the war. Why should that be? According to Rabbi Lili, yes, it's true. Maybe outs this new marriage, he shouldn't, he doesn't have the right to go home. But if he's a sinner, then he should be going home. So why, why are we saying that the sinner husband is staying in war? Says the Gemara. Rabbi Lili. If you have someone... Um, who, who does kiddushin to a woman? He shouldn't do to, let's say, uh, a or something like that. There's no chiyuv. There's no liability. There's no malchus until he actually has Biah. Why? it says in the Torah, lo yikach. He should not take, which means kiddushin. But it also says for lo not to create chilulim, which is referring to the bia that it will have that will make the kids profane. So we say matam lo yikach. What is the reason why the Torah said it should not take? Why is there an iser kedushin? because of the bia that will come. So it's as if we're understanding that the Torah is connecting them lo yikach, lo to tell you that the iser is only transgressed when the ma'isal comes to a bia. So now we can say mishumachi. He's not bia. until he has the bia. he's not going to get lashes so now we understand that he's not a sinner yet someone who just did the kicha to the kuhuna relationship woman for him he hasn't yet, he's not yet labeled as a sinner if he's not yet labeled as a sinner so then he's not excluded from Isha for live so therefore we could say that's the case where we say he's going to stay in the war. I normally, if you marry a new wife, you go back. That's what the chiddush with the was saying: is that if it's a forbidden one, then you don't. Tanur Now, brisah continues talking about the three: Asher Ban, Asher Not, Asher So there are three exemptions mentioned in the pasuk: the new house, the new vineyard, and the new wife. Those are the sequence that the Torah said. I live. From, from this sequence, Dark you see the right order of life. First, a person should build a home, and then a vineyard. And Only afterwards should he go ahead and uh, pursue marriage. So we're explaining, and this is the idea, is that you have to, you have to first take care of the parnassa issues, make sure that everything is good and sustainable, and only then you enter into the relationship. said this in his Chachma, prepare your work outside, and prepare yourself in the field, and afterwards you'll build your home prepare your work outside that that means you have a literal physical home. prepare for yourself in the fields zakara that means a vineyard. and then afterwards build your home zuisha that means marriage. So we see that idea, house, livelihood and only then do you marry. we expound the positively differently We 're all reference to learning Torah. First the person should make sure they know silk prepare for yourself in the fields and Mishnah. that's a reference. To learning the Mishnah afterwards you build your home, that means the learning of the Gemara. So that means before you learn Gemara, you have to make sure you're good in Sukkot and Mishnah. prepare your outside, that's the learning of Mikra and Mishnah together. Prepare yourself in the field like Gemara, that's the study of Gemara. Then you'll build your home, those are the good deeds, meaning if you want to get to the point that you're doing good deeds, you have to know the Torah well, because Without an understanding of Torah, Ma'isim Tovim. seems very arbitrary in how it's defined. It says the Gemara, Rab Lazor Ben Oshar Rab Yisrael Gillo. I'm very work outside and make our Mishnah Gemara. That's all forms of learning. That's good deeds, only afterwards can you build your own, only afterwards can you receive reward for expounding the Torah itself. So what are we talking about? So here we're talking about, when we say we mean something, you know, the mystics of the Torah, things that aren't necessarily practical. So when does a person get to the madriga of the madriga When do you get there? We're saying you don't start with that. First, you know all the Torah, then you do the madriga, and then finally the madriga after that, on top of that, the third madriga would be a madrega of Joshua Kabbalah. Okay. These are the people who did not return. The Mishnah said, people who just build things that aren't a real home. And then we learned something from Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Yehuda said that if, let's say, a person builds a new home, but in the very spot where he used to have his old home, then he doesn't go back. That's not a new home. So, Tana the Rite says, but if he adds even another row of bricks, he does return. In other words, the new row means that it's a new home. So, if you're just putting it back up exactly the way it was, so then you don't go back. But if there's a new row, so then it, it, it does warrant an exemption. Rabbi base said, There's someone who built a house of bricks in Sharon wouldn't return. So what's this idea of Sharon? You always are constantly rebuilding it twice in every Shavuot and every seven-year period. The point is that the clay is very bad, inferior quality. The bricks aren't good. You always have to constantly be redoing the homes. So therefore, they're considered temporary structures. They begin with, they're not really permanent. And therefore, it doesn't exempt from Muhammad. Then the Mishnah said, these are the people who don't leave at all. Meaning the people that we spoke about, they go out to war and then, they have to, and then they're exempted. The following people didn't even have to go out at all. And we said the people who already did not in, people who already built a home, people who already have the vineyard but haven't used it for the year. So, Tanur an Isha Chadasha, a new wife. In the Isha Chadasha, I would say it's only a new wife where she never was married first. I'm on a Gushmi nine. How do I know it's even a widow with divorce? Torah says, Isha come, any type of wife. Right, the, part, the point that we're saying. Is that, is that the word ishah is extra. So if the word ishah is extra, so then we understand that it's telling us anytime. And came out why is it saying new? The answer is, it's saying it's new relative to the husband. So we're coming to exclude someone who's marrying the same woman for the second time. He divorced her, now he's taking her back. So she's not new to him. Someone who remarries a former wife is not exempt from the arm. So it says over here, but the mission. let's just understand again, someone who did iris in and not nesuin goes home and he does have to supply water and food for the army and help pave the roads. But someone who, who already did nesuin but hasn't been with his wife, he's in the middle of Shana Rishona, and he doesn't go out to the war at all, and he doesn't have to be busy uh, helping with the effort, the war effort at all. So L'Ali uh, it says in the one during Shana doesn't go in the army, Yachov spoke by a Muslim. You might say, he should be busy supplying food, fixing the roads. The Bible says, No service should be placed upon him. That means even for things that could be done not on the front lines. The Torah is saying that these people are exempted they do to do anything. So maybe even someone who's not in Shun Rishonah, just someone who started the Kedushin but didn't do the Nesuit, right? The people who are sent, sent, who are at the war and sent home, maybe they also don't have to uh, supply food and water. The Torah, Allah upon him. That's saying, only in someone who already did the Nesu and he's in Shun Rishon already, he doesn't have to do anything. But upon the people before who only did the Kedushin, they didn't yet live with her uh, then, they do have to work. So, ma the Lo Yavar, if there's a love in the Torah, Lo Yavar, the person who's already married in the middle of Shun Rishona, that he shouldn't, nothing should be passive upon him because he's focused on his wife, there's a love Why does Torah add, don't go out in the army? Meaning, it's a bit redundant. Don't put anything on him and don't go in the army. If you're not doing anything, even any war effort, of course you're not fighting in the army. It means two separate lavim. There's two separate dinim. There's one din that that he's over if he goes to the army and another din that he's he's over if he's busy with anything else besides his wife. Okay. Continues here the Mishnah. After those three three exceptions, now the Apostle says that the Shotim add and they speak to the people and they say, anyone who's afraid, get out of here. It means the simple meaning. He's unable to stand in the the complexity of war, in the the horrible, the horrible scenes, and see the swords that are taken out uh, from, and and, and he's afraid of what's going to happen. He'll run away, and that's the person we don't want there. We say no, It means he's afraid, we mentioned this, of a sin in his hand. That's what it's referring to. Therefore, because of this point, the Torah hangs the exemption on the other things. She asked for well, he could pretend to return to of the other of the other matters. Meaning, in order to protect the busha, the embarrassment of the sinner, he doesn't want it shouldn't be evident. Oh, that guy went back because he's a sinner. So the Torah gives other exemptions. There are other people who go back. New house, new wife, new vineyard. So now someone who goes back, you don't know why he's going back. It's not your. It's not your personal business. (laughs) These are the people. These are the types of sins. So now the question is, how is different than Rabbi Yosef Lili? Rabbi Yosef Lili said the sins, and then Rabbi Yosef is saying examples are forbidden people who have forbidden marriages. How are they differing? How is he differing from uh, from Rabbi Yosef Lili? So the Gemara is going to analyze that, and it says when the are done, to the people, they appoint leaders in front of the people, and the Mishnah adds and at the back of the people, they, they make sure they make sure nobody's going to flee. I'm in the front of the army. They put people to help people stand up. Right, people who fall during the war, they should have someone who's going to take care of them. Achim and the people who are standing, the officers behind the army would be a dame. They would hold iron axes. Anyone who tries to flee the army, the rishus permission is given for these officers to cut their legs. Very, very interesting. Severe, severe punishment for those who leave the, for those who desert the army. Nisa The reason is when a person starts to, to run, that's the biggest downfall. The running away, the, the fleeing the scene. That's the that's the thing that really brings the army down. More than the army, the, more than the attacking enemy can inflict upon us, is what we can inflict upon ourselves by running away. She'namar says. other. Mm-hmm. It says, with the war with the this is when the army was captured, clients are lost. It says mm-hmm. they all ran away, and there was a great slaughter. So, meaning, what's the point? Because they ran away, that's why it led to a great slaughter. Alhamdulillah. Also says later, this is uh, the, much later. But this is when Shaul was, was taken by the Plishdim. By he saw the by they ran away and they were they were killed. So, when are all these examples exemptions given from war? But these are all wars that are Rishus, discretionary wars when you don't have to fight. So it's it's, it's discretionary. So then the exemptions are given. Mitzvah. But when you're fighting a war, that's a Mitzvah Hakol Yotz, and everybody goes out. Even a Chassan and Kala go and fight. There's no exemption. Um, Rabbi Yehudah is not true, but I meant mitzvah. Even Muhammad's mitzvah. Even for Muhammad's mitzvah, there could be, um, there, it could be true. Um, Muhammad's chovah it's only when it's an obligation. There we say, Yos, and everybody goes out. So we have to try to understand what is Rabbi Yehudah and the Rabbana disagreeing about. Right? It sounds like just from reading the Mishnah that there are three categories. There's Rishos, mitzvah, and chovah. There's something totally discretionary, something that's a mitzvah, and then there's something which is an absolute obligation. So it sounds like there's some sort of disagreement about Melchized Mitzvah, but the question is in what right? And we'll see from the tomorrow exactly what's going on here. All right. So first, we notice Yisraeli Barachli again. Rabbi Kiva says someone who's afraid of the gruesomeness of the literal war. Rabbi Yosi Aglili and Rabbi Yosi both say it means sin. Rabbi Yosi said it means someone who married a forbidden marriage. Rabbi Yosi Aglili didn't say. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yosi, Rabbi Yosi what's the practical difference between them? Ichim an Someone who did an avera, which is only mitzvah rabbanon. According to Rabbi Yosi Aglili, he returns. According to Rabbi Yosi, no, only you only return for a sin that is daraisa. So I'll take the Gemara. Who does the following b'rashah go like? It says in the b'rashah, someone who speaks between the two tefillahs. Right? You put on two tefillahs. So you shouldn't speak between them. Different ideas, why not? The simple shot would be because you're, garim, a you're causing an extra bracha to be made. Why? Because you start with the bracha laniat tefillin, and that bracha is really trying to go, hopefully, on both tefillin. If you speak, you're going to have to repeat the bracha laniat tefillin. So therefore, it's a sin to speak, to converse, to meet mafsik, to interrupt between putting on the two tefillins. So someone who did avir B'yadu, it's considered midirabonah, to do that. It's not a deraizah. You're causing a new bracha to be made. It's not a sin midirayah. It's forbidden. So someone who does that is a sin, is a sinner. He returns from the war because of such a sin. So command which opinion is that opinion is that going like Because according to Rabbi it's such a light sin; it's only a He wouldn't return. The fact is that we're going like we're going like Rabbi Yosi even an aver mit makes you sin. It says that Who's this falling price? We're going like someone heard Sounds of the trumpets and he got nervous. I Or the shields and he got nervous. He sees the swords the, and, and urine is running down his knees. If he's so nervous that he can't control his bowels, and he returns home. Come on, who's the price going like? It's only going like Rabbi Akiva, because Rabbi Akiva said "ishay revarach is literal. He said it means for someone frightened of sin. So according to him, someone who's literally shaking may goes home says the Gemara Baha, if he's so frightened, I if he agrees, he should go home. There's a passage that adds, you shouldn't melt the hearts of his other brothers like his heart. Meaning there's an extra phrase in the Torah that if you're that terrified, right, that there's urine flowing down, so then he should go home. So everybody agrees, that if he's so terrified of the war, he goes home. The question is, what was the exemption that the, that the, 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 the Kohen was referring to, the Shota was referring to? According to Rabbi Kiva, is referring to someone who's afraid. According to Rabbi Akiva is referring to someone who was a sinner. So the Rishonim count as a laugh. Very interesting thing. That, you know, you're not supposed to suck it up and remain if you have the exemption and because if you're too afraid. Too afraid is bad for you to be there. The reason is. Right? If you have an issue, don't, don't, don't affect other people. So what did we say? We say that it's a very bad thing to run away. And why? The lush of the Mishnah was when the beginning of the running away is a downfall. So what does that mean? So if anything, it sounds like the Mishnah is saying, it sounds like the beginning of the flight is a downfall, that the downfall is causing you to run. It's the opposite. It should have said the beginning of the downfall is the running. The Mishnah said it backwards. So the Quran says, you're right, we changed the Mishnah. The beginning of the downfall um, the beginning of when you are hurt is the Nisa, is itself the fleeing. So we clear up that point. That it's step one is the running. That's step two that leads to the enemy getting you. Okay. So the basic point here, and now we're gonna clarify this review that about it. The basic point is discretionary wars, there are exemptions. And when the mitzvah when it's a mitzvah slash cholva slash obligation, then there are no exemptions. But what's going on, it seems like, is that they're disagreeing about how to define what is a mitzvah thing. So When the Rabbanon say Rishus, you could go back. That's what Rabbi Yehuda is calling a war of a mitzvah. Mitzvah to Rabbanon, when the Rabbanon say the terminology of a mitzvah war, that's what Rabbi Yehuda was calling a chova war. So what we're trying to say is as follows. There are three types of wars, and we'll see what they are in a second. Totally discretionary, somewhat mitzvah, and then there's obligatory wars. There's no question that there are three types, okay? And there's also no question in halacha, that For the first two types, there are exemptions of war for totally discretionary and somewhat mitzvah. Everybody agrees there are exemptions. So you go back, the only one that the exemptions are not given is when it's an absolute obligatory war. And we'll again define what's the difference between mitzvah and khovah in a second. So, what's the dispute then? So, Amar Ravah, uh, so, so, so the Gemara is going to explain Amaravah, Mohammed's Yeshua, Lichwash, let's say when Yeshua is fighting Eretz Israel, conquering our salt, that's an obligation, that's the highest. Highest priority. No one was exempt from there. Muhammad is David the The wars that David's house fought just to gain more territory. David shows. That's totally discretionary. There's no mitzvah in that. Keep league, the The question would be: What if you have something like you're you're going on the offense and you're trying to reduce the number of Goyim around so that they won't attack? They won't they won't attack the Jews. So basically, it's a preemptive war. If the Goyim would attack us and you're defending Qal Yisrael, okay, that's for sure a chobah. But the question is, what if you're taking a preemptive strike to try to, um, to, try to hurt the guy? to hurt the mitzvah, according to Peter, that's called mitzvah. Ma'akha wa rishos, call that rishos. Now, again, and for what we're learning, it's not going to matter because what, whatever you call it, either way, the exemptions are given. The only thing the exemptions are not given for are absolute chova, things that are absolutely obligatory, like Yeshua conquering Israel or a war against Amalek, perhaps, something like that, or when Klai Yisrael is under attack. Those are the only things that are absolute chova that everyone agrees the exemptions are not given. All the other types of wars, Are there are exemptions? Whether you call them mitzvah, you call them rishus. The exemptions are given. The machlokas just is: Do you call it rishus? Do you call it a mitzvah? If if the Jews go on a preemptive strike against their against their against the neighboring enemies, is that considered chova? Is that considered rishus or mitzvah? Again, no Navkamina for the soldiers. Avada for the soldiers. Exemptions are given. The only time exemptions are not given is when it's the highest level, the highest thing of chova. So who cares then? Call that type of war mitzvah. Call it Rishos. What's the difference? (laughs) The nefkimino, what Rav and the Rabbanon are arguing about is: Are you in the middle of doing a mitzvah? There's a rule: When you're in the middle of a mitzvah, you're potter from doing other mitzvahs. So if the Jews are taking a preemptive strike against the enemy, is there a Torah for those soldiers of osik mitzvah patah a mitzvah? The Rabbanon say no; it's not a mitzvah. Therefore, they're chayv in other mitzvahs. And according to Rav they're engaged in the mitzvah, and therefore they're potter from other mitzvahs. So in conclusion, there are three types of wars. Like David, totally discretionary, let's just get more territory. Somewhat mitzvah, like preemptive strike against the Ga'im, And then the highest priority, defense from under attack, conquering Israel, Amalek, those types of wars. In regard to our sugi of the exemptions, only the third type, Melchema's Chlova, have the exemptions. Nothing else has the, only the third type does not have the exemptions. The first two types have the exemptions. There's a dispute between the and the rabban and the middle type, how to call it. Do I call it I a mitzvah or do I call it Rishos? The Nafkamina is whether well, the soldiers have the Torah of Osak Mitzvah Patamina Mitzvah. Hajrah Parakhmashuah Muhammad. Okay, now we move on to Egla Arufa. Egla Arufa, right? Find the dead body. You don't know you don't know the murder, so the Torah says you measure out to the closest town, and then the Zigni here, they bring a calf, they decapitate in the valley, they wash their hands and they say, make a statement that they're not responsible. We learn about this because the declaration this came to make has to be said in, in Hebrew. Problem is, how do I see from that passage that has to be in Hebrew? So the Gemara will address that. Three of the, great, of the three judges from the great basin in Yerushalayim, from the Sanhedrin, will go out. So according to this, we three judges and it's from the Sanhedrin. Rebbe Yudal has to be five judges. What do we get this number of five? Sikhe your elders go out, Shnaim, that implies two. Shoftach and your judges. is that's another two. So far, that's four. We know basement can never be an even number. Therefore, we have another one that gets a total of five. That's the Rebu that gets his position. Names of Tamman the corpse is covered by a pile of stones. Ota'lubi'ilah, or hanging on a tree. it's floating on the surface of water, lo you orphan. Then we don't do the whole process of decapitating the calf. Shannemar says in the Pesach, it was fallen Adama. It says it's fallen in the field. Pa'adamah, v'lutamah, bagal. The word on the land means exposed on the land, not covered in a pile. No fell fel, v'lutalubi'ilah, not hanging. In the field of Osapanoim, I am not floating on the surface of the water. So there's not necessarily a big, you know, common theme between the three points, but we just have to follow the language of the possible. Nimsa Samochless Far, if it's found next to the border of the shell, or next to a town that's most, uh, mostly given a basement or to a town where there's no base in, you, you don't decapitate the calf. And calf is only done when it's med, when it's found next to a regular Jewish, uh regular Jewish town. In Moden Eli Yershishba And then we'll see, it sounds redundant, but the Mishnah repeats you can only be Moday to a town if there's an established court in that town. Those are the, the people who are going to declare that we didn't do this. So if their town, is, they don't have one, you don't do it. All right, so first of all, the Gemara says, we said it has to be in Hebrew because of that passage that we quoted But Mike Amr. How do you see Hebrew from that Amr? It says they will, they will speak up and they will say, Va'anu Amr. Will speak up and they will say. and then the mission continues. What's the procedure for Ruffa? Was saying three from the judges, and then Rabbi Yehuda was saying. Uh, five so basically we're answering that the mishnah when it said it wasn't giving us the source for Hebrew, It was actually missing the word the word that teaches the Hebrew part it was the source for the Hebrew part is vanu v'amru Mishnah was continuing just to continue to the process because of the continuation of the Mishnah Reviu da Omer, Hamisha, We just said it is five Tanu Rabbonu on found in a bride's ear P'yaziz kenachav shofteachaz, Shnayim. your elders mean two Shofteachashayim, your judges are additional to. ain't based in shakel. you can't have an even namur, zivlonachad, harikam, hamishah So you have five that's Reb Yudah. Reb Shimon Omer, Zekenecha Shtayim. is two. Is in you can't have an even number You have another one of Reb Shalosha, three. So basically you're ignoring a word, Reb Shimon. Reb Shimon, Amiak Ziv V'shovetacha. Zed So you only expose Zekenechas, you only have two. But why don't you look at V'shovetacha? Another two. we He learns the word for judges. He's coming to tell us that it has to be the most miyuchah, the most special judges, meaning the ones from the Sanhedrin. Has to be the ones from the basin HaGadol. That's what he uses the word for. So therefore, it's not extra to tell me another two judges. So i Yehuda, Yehuda did learn. he know it has to come from the Sanhedrin. It could have used a shorter word of zikne. Instead, it used a longer word of zikanacha. So it, the shorter word would also would have been plural. And that would have told us two judges. So therefore, there are two halachos that could be learned. First of all, you need to another two judges. Second of all, it has to be members of the Sanhedrin. Perhaps Shimon. So, why? How does he say back? If the Torah would have said I would say it means anyone. I certainly have to say to teach that it has to be from the Sanhedrin. Because it I are going to say. But what I could say it could be from any Sanhedrin. Even let's say uh, a Sanhedrin that has twenty three judges. I would say they're members of the court. Because the Torah had to say, and your judges, only for the most select of the judges that they could do it. So basically what we're saying is that Zikinacha alone is not suffice to tell us that it could have been a Sanadrinakal though. We could have said it could have just be in any court of twenty-three. That was the point where we're saying, so therefore I don't see both points. That as to be from the Sanhedrin and an extra two judges. That's Rabbi Shimon's defense. How does to say back? Rabbi Zikne, Zikne No. It could have said and I would have known that it's from that that, that 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 it means from the, um, the people of Sanhedrin Agadol, because if we would have learned Gzeir from the Zikne HaEda, I This is the pasuk by Paral and Davashot Tzibur. It says the Zikne HaEda. When most of the Tzibur sins because of a mistake that the Sanhedrin makes, so there's a special carbon which is brought by the who? By the Ziknei? By the Zikne, The HaEda, which means the people of Sanhedrin, just over there. Zikne means the elders Sanhedrin. Afkanu Yuchadun Shevei So to Agla Rufa would mean it. So basically, Zikne would have gotten the job done, and therefore again, Ziknei has two more judges. So at the Gemara, if Yehuda is making such a shava, connecting Parlam Davish Shaltzibor and Agla Rufa, like my I could have learned everything from there. The requirement for five judges, because Rabbi Yehuda holds that by Parlam Davish Shaltzibor, there are five judges who go out and do the smicha on the carbon. So ziknechav shadach If you really have such a shava, zikne zikne, that connects us to Parlam Davashot Shaltzibor, then this whole thing is, is is wasting our time. We already know that there should be five judges by Agla Rufa, because there are five judges by who go out. Clearly, he must not hold the Ziknei Ziknei the way you're saying. If he doesn't hold the Ziknei and then the question comes back. How is he able to learn that there are, there's an extra two judges? and Shoftecha, maybe one of them is coming to tell me it has to be from people of the Sanhedrin. So Gemara says, you're right, we have to explain different. Elavav, The Vav, at the beginning of the word Vishoftecha, is telling us the numbers. So you're right. For Shoftecha, we agree that it has to be the members of the Sanhedrin. But the Vav tells us an extra Two judges. For Reb Shimon. Reb Shimon says back top of Aleph. Vav lo mashmal. The extra vav does not imply more judges. That's the point. So that, therefore, after all is said and done, it's a pretty simple idea. It says a keinecha two. Then it says bishov The main point of bishov is to tell us it has to be members of the great court of the Sanhedrin Aguda. Reb Yehuda Darshan's vav to tell us another two judges. Reb Shimon doesn't Darshan's that vav, and therefore he gets only three. So in conclusion, it's machlokes of three judges. According to Reb Tzadok and Reb Shimon, go out to measure. According to Reb Yehuda, it's five. Everybody agrees. Those five judges are from the Sanhedrin Agadol in Yerushalayim.